and welcome to Misinformation, the trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams of pub quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. <laughs> that was some good stress. <laughs> Thank on you. The, on a different syllable well, you know, this time. I try and mix it up. You yeah. Know, so that people know that we don't just, we oh, don't yeah, just pre-record it once. It's not a canned recording. No. no. <laughs> it is fresh out the oven for you every recording, everyone. Mm. That's, that's how much we care about our listeners. Everything is just from scratch <laughs> to the point where speaking of our listeners <laughs> this is my transition mm-hmm. this is my mm-hmm. transition for this hey. one so um so far we have i would i would make the argument that at least the first couple of episodes that we have done it was stuff that we either wanted to know more about personally oh, yeah. or stuff that we already had an interest in mm-hmm. that we wanted to tell each other about yeah um and then we we tended to avoid things that we find boring, <laughs> understandable. <laughs> but uh, we did have um, some feedback, mm-hmm. and also I have also heard through the grapevine mm-hmm. of trivia grapevine, the trivia grapevine, that more people want to hear about baseball. Yeah, <laughs> baseball. I mean, try and muster mm, so up a little bit more exciting. fake ex- excitement about that. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about LT and baseball. Okay, your good friend Lauren here is a second generation Boston Red Sox fan through mm-hmm. and through. Naturally. Yes. You grew up in Buffalo, New York. Yes. I grew up in Buffalo, New York. <laughs> big Boston Red Sox fan. Actually, there's a lot of Boston Red Sox fans here in Rochester, which is really weird. It's funny. Uh, my father and his brother, my Uncle Tom, hey, Uncle Tom, um, love the Red Sox. And I have witnessed the highest highs and the mm-hmm. lowest lows mm-hmm. watching my father watch the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> I played softball in high school and uh, I really, um, I enjoy baseball. I like watching baseball, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, I know you will watch football and, and hockey mm-hmm. all day, every day, mm-hmm. but I don't like watching sports by myself. It feels okay. very lonely. Um, but I was like, you know what? Baseball as a topic, I didn't want to do it, not because I found it boring, but mostly because it's so vast. It, it is. It's like, let's talk about the history of vegetables Ah. like or oxygen like why (laughs) there's just so much so i figured what i was going to do this is going Mm -hmm. to be a multi-part series so today we're going to start part one of my baseball topic the old leather apple So as you know, that's a reference to the 30 Rock, the old leather pumpkin, uh-huh. <laughs> which is one of my favorite episodes. But anyway, so we're going to start with the history of baseball. All right. Just, let's, we're just, just going to... Just a nice, uh, a nice easy topic. <laughs> yes. Baseball, a sport that's been around for 200 years. <laughs> um, no, it's... It, I'm going to give like a basic like beginning history, how Great. baseball became baseball. And then we're going to talk about the basics of baseball. Perfect. How the game is played. And then some relevant trivia. And then I think what I actually what I want to do is I'm, I want to do the Negro Leagues at one point. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I'm thinking about focusing on like the heavy hitters and like there's a lot yeah. in baseball. That there's you do. a lot to cover. Yeah, exactly. Maybe we can have my dad on. He can oh, talk about the Red man. Sox. Oh, you would love that. Yeah, we'll see. You got to bring your own microphone, Dave. Yeah, <laughs> we don't. This is a two bit <laughs> operation here. Literally two bits. <laughs> um, two mics. That's it. Okay. So it is difficult to determine the true origins of baseball. Oh, well, that was easy. The end. Uh, thank you for listening. No. <laughs> Could you imagine? Um, these poor people who are like, finally, baseball. But no. 
Um, okay, most scholars actually think that it derives from an older game called Rounders, mm. which was popular in England and Ireland. Many believe that cricket descended from Rounders okay. as well, uh, as other stick and ball games like stool ball and what was called tut ball, T-U-T, mm. tut ball. Uh, but there was evidence uh, in early 2009 that suggests that cricket may have been imported to England from Flanders. So oh. cricket isn't even thought to be like a native yeah. British sport. Um, so the earliest depiction of stick and ball games was from a French manuscript from 1344 that contained an illustration of clerics playing the game known as La Soule. Other French games similar to this were Tech, 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 spelled T-H-E-Q-U-E, uh, Le Bol au Botan and Le Bol Empoisonné. Oh, thank you. Merde. Uh, <laughs> So good. Merde. Uh, the earliest known reference to baseball in writing was in a 1744 British publication called A Little Pretty Pocketbook by John Newberry. What a lovely book. I know, is that lovely? <laughs> um, it, it contained a rhymed description of baseball, two words, and a woodcut that showed, showed a field setup similar to the modern game, though in a triangular rather than a diamond configuration, and with posts instead of bases. And as you may generally know from cricket, uh, cricket, the bases are actually posts. Okay. Um, cricket is an impenetrable game <laughs> that I once was like, you know what? I'm going to learn a, bit, a little bit more about cricket. And I went to the cricket Wikipedia page. Mistake. Oh. It's awful. It's like 17 so pages, long. so many chapters. Forget it. So cricket remains a mystery and will be for the rest <laughs> for the, of my days. Yes. So baseball historian David Block discovered that the first recorded game of baseball took place in 1749 in Surrey, England, and featured the Prince of Wales as a player. Oh. Uh, the first known American reference to baseball appears in 1791 Pittsfield, Massachusetts town bylaw prohibiting the playing of the game near the town's new meeting house. <laughs> Uh, so by 1830, there were reports of a variety of stick and ball games recognizable as baseball being played around North America. They were often referred to as town ball, though other names like round ball and baseball were also used. So, Julia, here's mm. a question. Who invented the modern game of baseball? Abner Doubleday. Ha! Was it <gasps> Abner Doubleday, future Civil War general in Cooperstown, New York in 1839? Was it not? No. I'm getting real deja vu right now. Have Are we talked really? about Albert or Doubleday before? I don't like think this? so. I think your brain is just tired. Here's the thing. <laughs> Side note. Did you know that a lot of neurologists think that um, deja vu is when your brain is tired. So one, you know, your two halves of your brain uh -huh. work semi-independently of each other. One one side of the brain like forms the memory like uh -huh. it's like okay seeing things and the other half of the brain takes like a microsecond to like catch up mm -hmm. and because it like records it later it sees it as a memory instead of what's oh. happening in present time man isn't that brains. crazy i know brains are crazy so is baseball. Here we go. Um, <laughs> so not Abner Doubleday. So not Abner Doubleday. So the myth of Abner Doubleday is that he set up the first game in 1839 and mining engineer Abner Graves made the claim in the press. Mm. He had written a letter stating that he had seen Doubleday create a diagram of a baseball field in response to a request by um, this man named Spalding, Albert Spalding, who was the Chicago Cubs president at the time. Uh, and for information on early baseball that had been published in the April 1905 edition of the Akron Beacon, Beacon Journal. So here's why Abner Doubleday became like the mythological hey. like father of baseball. 
So in the late 19th and early 20th century, a dispute arose about the origins of baseball and whether it had been invented in the United States or developed as a variation of rounders. Mm. The theory that the sport was created in the U.S. was backed by Chicago Cubs president Albert Spalding and National League president Abraham G. Mills. So in 1889, Mills gave a speech declaring that baseball was American, which he said was determined through patriotism and research. <laughs> First, patriotism, First patriotism, then yes. research. So a crowd of about 300 people responded by chanting, no rounders, no rounders. <laughs> so the rounders theory was supported by a prominent sports writer who was named Henry Chadwick. He was a native of Britain who noted common factors between rounders and baseball in a 1903 article. Mm. In 1905, Spalding called for an investigation into how the sport was invented. Chadwick supported the idea, and later in the year, a commission was formed. Uh, Spalding instructed the commission to decide between the American game of what was called Old Cat and Rounders as baseball's predecessor. Hmm. So seven men served on the commission, including Mills. And Spalding chose the committee's members, picking men who supported his theory and excluding supporters of the Rounders claim, such as Chadwick. That sounds like things that still happen these days. Yeah, is that interesting? Mm -hmm. So um, the recollection of Graves, who first made the claim, was who presented the story of his contributions, have been criticized because Graves was five years old in 1839. (laughs) He had also expressed anti-English sentiments in a letter to the Mills Commission and spent time in an insane asylum later in life. So that's fun. Um, So why did he choose Doubleday specifically? So... There's some. There's a couple of reasons. One is uh, Doubleday's cousin actually lived in Cooperstown at the time, who was also named Abner. So there may have been some confusion there. So two Abner, two Abner Doubleday's. Abner's Doubleday. Abner. Yes, that's the proper (laughs) English term. Abner's (laughs) Doubleday. Um, Plus, Civil War soldiers played baseball pretty frequently, so Doubleday probably had a tie to it in that way, since Mm. he was a Civil War general. Mm Also, uh, Spalding himself had a connection to Doubleday. He had financially supported the Theosophical Society, which was a group that Doubleday served as vice president. Hmm. And this idea of um, Civil War soldiers, actually Northerners brought um, baseball to Southerners during the Civil War because Northern um, POWs, prisoners of war, when they were in their prisoner of war camps, they would play baseball. They'd be like, I'm bored, let's get a game together. Yeah, And so they brought baseball of what it was like at the time and we have in the rochester museum and science center Mm. in rochester new york you're not the only one who has stuff julia (laughs) um we have an engraving of i think it's in south carolina my coworker sarah would know better but it's a it's a depiction of northern soldiers playing baseball on this at this pow camp in south carolina so it's really interesting so, if Abner Doubleday didn't invent baseball, who the who hell did? did? <laughs> so, <laughs> in 1845, Alexander Cartwright, who's a member of New York City's Knickerbocker Club, led the codification of the so-called Knickerbocker Rules, mm-hmm. which brought the game the closest to the game of modern baseball that we know today, although it was still underhanded pitching. Okay. So, they used to, get ready, <laughs> throw the ball at people to get them out, like in dodgeball. Okay. Which seems dangerous. I approve. Okay. All right. Well, that was barred <laughs> under these rules. So, <laughs> um, so while there are reports that the New York Knickerbockers played games in 1845, the contest long recognized as the first officially recorded baseball game in U.S. history took place on June 19th, 1846 in Hoboken, New Jersey. Hoboken, New Jersey. Excuse me. Sorry, Hoboken. New Jersey. 
The New York Nine defeated the Knickerbockers 23 to 1. Yikes. In four innings. Yikes. So with the Knickerbockers code as the basis, the rules of modern baseball continued to evolve over the next half century. So baseball, one could make the argument, was a craze that started in the New York City area. Mm. And in the 1850s, um, it was described by journalists as the national pastime or the national game. So Mm. like very soon after it became like sort of codified and people started getting real games together and the laws, the rules of the game were pretty set in stone. Then it immediately started to become a patriotic game. Because you didn't. You also didn't need a lot of supplies. No, you didn't. You needed a stick and a ball and like, th- like you know, four places know. for the bases. Yeah. That's it. Um, in 1856, baseball went pro. 16 area clubs formed the sport's first governing body, which was known as the National Association of Baseball Players, two words, mm-hmm. baseball. Um, so here's the thing. Um, what I just said was very controversial. Here's why. <laughs> Abner Doubleday uh, apparently invented the game in Cooperstown, did not. Mm. Well, Cooperstown, New York is where the Baseball Hall of yes. Fame resides. Mm-hmm. And they maintain that it was Abner Doubleday oh. that began the game of baseball. So we just lost like three listeners. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I don't know. They hit the eject button. Yeah. And they're is like, that forget how this. Listening works? I think. I they, don't know. I think. How do you. Cooper sounds a little behind the, the <laughs> times. So they may have taped it onto a tape, <laughs> mailed it to them. Uh-huh. Sorry, Cooperstone. They also have a, be- I have a really good um, museum studies oh, master's yes. program there. Cooperstown graduate program, the best museum master's program in the country, FYI. I did not go there. Um, <clears throat> so let's talk the game. Okay. We're going to do basics of the Base game. Baseball. If you've never heard it, you're like, what is this? Bozzy ball. What yeah. is this word? Bozzy ball. Bozzy ball. Or as my father calls it, baseball. So <laughs> I know he does it. In the, he does it with like a Cuban accent. Anyway. So uh, the game of baseball is two teams of nine players who take turns batting and fielding, each going once per inning. The batting team attempts, attempts to score runs by hitting a ball that is thrown by the opposing team's pitcher with a bat swung by the batter and then running counterclockwise around a series of four bases, first base, second base, third base, and home plate. <laughs> a run is scored when a player advances around the bases and touches home plate. A batter is out when the fielding team catches the ball while it is in the air, known as a fly ball. When a fielder tags the batter with a caught ball, when a fielder tags the plate that the batter is advancing towards, or when a batter fails to hit the ball after three pitches at home. A home run is when a batter hits the ball outside the field of play, therefore allowing him to run all three bases without the fielders able to retrieve the ball. Now that is the basic, basic, basics. Uh-huh. Um, some, here's some trivia. Mm-hmm. Baseball is the only sport where the defense has control of the ball. Oh, interesting. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Um, so fielding positions on out on the field are first base, second base, third base, shortstop, pitcher, catcher. Those are the infield, mm-hmm. known as the infield. Outfield is right field, center field, and left field. Mm-hmm. They're out, way out, ready mm-hmm. to catch some balls. And which is the one that never gets hit to? So you always put the worst kid out there. That's, um. oh man, I think it's right field. Because unless you're, you bat left that doesn't the ball doesn't like yeah. statistically doesn't go out that mm-hmm. way i think i i may have to like <laughs> i have to think about it because it's like stage left or whatever yeah. so batting Pursu- is done exunt. pursued by a bear yes ex- exunt 
Uh, batting is done by one dude at a time in a lineup. One dude. Um, one dude. Ugh. So the term a, des- a designated hitter. So a designated hitter doesn't play a normal fielding position. Hmm. Rather, he takes the place of the pitcher in the lineup. So and the this pitcher is doesn't hit usually. Normal. No, but normally. But this is optional. Okay. So if you happen to have a pitcher on your team that is a power hitter, that almost never happens, by the way. Uh, usually, uh, it, the designated hitter is usually a power hitter. My example, Big Poppy. Ah. Did, he didn't do anything else on that team other than hit balls? No, he just hit balls. Good um, for him. I think sometimes he would play outfield. Okay. He's not a he's not a quick moving man. wasn't a wasn't a very athletic no. appearing. But damn, could he hit a ball <laughs> like a monster? And for people that aren't Red Sox fans, tell them who Big Poppy is. What's his real name? Big Poppy is David Ortiz, the Cuban designated hitter for the Boston Red Sox, who just recently retired. Um, so a designated hitter has to be determined at the beginning of the game, and even if and if they don't. They're not like, hey, big poppies are DH. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pitcher, which is known as the pinch hitter, right, mm. must bat for the entire game. You can't sub in okay. the DH. So Major League Baseball, or the MLB from here on out, is the oldest of the four major professional sports leagues Ooh. in the U.S. and Canada. Mm-hmm. There are 30 total teams, 29 in the U.S. and one in Canada. Just the one. Yep. Um, these are... Uh, divided into the national league and the American league with 15 teams each. Uh, these are each divided into regions, the East, the West and the central. So the national league and the American league were formed as separate legal entities in 1876 and 1901 respectively. Uh, after cooperating, but remaining legally separate entities beginning in 1903, the leagues merged into a single organization led by the commissioner of baseball in 2000. It took that long. Yeah, it took that long. It took almost a hundred years. It took 97 years for them to be merged into a single organization. Wow! Could you even imagine that? So ironically enough, the Toronto blue Jays are in the uh, American league East, Aww. even though they're not they're American. the only Canadian team. Uh, here's a question for you, Julia. Yeah. What is the oldest baseball team in the U S is it a team that has socks in the name? Is it the White Sox? No, it is not. It is the Atlanta Braves. Oh. Can you believe that? Okay, so how? That's what I was like. I was like, how? I said that out is loud. That, are you saying that as a joke because they're Indians? No. Julia, first of all, we call them Native Americans, too. <laughs> I would never make that joke. joke. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I didn't know this. Okay. So uh, the Braves are the oldest continually operating team in the MLB. So they were enfranchised in 1871 as the Boston Red Stockings oh, or the okay. Red Caps in the National Association and with connections to the original independent professional Cincinnati Red Stockings of 1869 and 70. They joined the National League as a charter member. So ironically enough, the Braves have the newest ball- ballpark, which is known as Sun Trust Park in Cumberland, Georgia, which was just finished in 2017. A hmm. couple of other um, interesting just tidbits of info. There was no World Series in 1904 because um, at the time the World Series was, it was like an optional mm. thing and everybody just continued, like they still were like, yeah, let's play the World Series. Yeah. But the New York Giants felt that the American League was inferior. So they were like, you oh. know what? We're okay. They considered them a junior league. The New York baseball giants refused to have the World Series yes. in 1904. They were like, we're good. We don't need to play the other team, which was which would have been the Boston Americans. Um, so soon after that, they were like, no, you're going to play the other league because <laughs> people really want... I mean, there was like a huge outcry. Oh, sure. People were writing letters to the newspaper like, what? No 
no World Series. What am I going to watch on TV? Yeah, and they wouldn't have even found out there was no World Series until like, like three until weeks there later. Wasn't a World Series. <laughs> no. So um, the only other time where there was no World Series was in 1994 because there was a player strike. Mm. And ah, I vaguely yes. recall this: the modern era. Yes, when players would get go on strike for yep. a whole season. It was amazing. So um, a couple of distinctive elements of the game. Okay. Uh, there is no clock to kill in baseball. Yeah. Baseball has no clock. A team cannot win without getting the last batter out and rallies are not constrained by time. Which I think as a type A person is why this game is not my cup of tea. Oh, see, I love baseball. <laughs> as a type B person, I love baseball because <laughs> it's so leisurely and there's a lot of um, uh, strategy involved mm. that doesn't involve just like mm-hmm. not doing anything for like 30 seconds or two minutes or whatever. I like you know knowing I mean? if my hockey game starts at seven, it'll be over by 930. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I guess like baseball can go for like days, literally. <laughs> So um, at almost any turn in any baseball game, the most advantageous strategy is some form of aggressive strategy. Okay. Uh, this leads to many sports fans to, to declare baseball a slow game, which <laughs> I'm not going to make the argument that it's not a slow game. Mm-hmm. It can be very slow. Mm-hmm. But when it's exciting, and the thing is it can turn on a dime. It's fun when they score. Oh, yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah, that's, it's the best that's part the of every fun game. Part. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and base stealing. Base stealing is cool. I love it when they steal home base. Like usually you win like a taco or something if you're in the stands and and somebody steals a base. Yes, yes. I was like, what? I didn't hear about this. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know this research. Oh, by the way, I got a lot of this research from Ken Burns' baseball documentary. Oh yeah. It's so good. In it your heart's your heart is full of stars and stripes. Like (sighs) you just become so patriotic from this documentary. It's so, so good. It's great. And he goes through like every like bit of minutia. So, you know, take some time out and watch it, but it's definitely worth it. Um, So another distinctive element of baseball, Um, although it is a team sport, individual players are often placed under scrutiny and pressure. In Mm -hmm. 1915, a baseball instructional manual pointed out that every single pitch of which there are often more than 200 in a game involves an individual one-on-one contest, quote, the pitcher and the batter in a battle of wits. Mm. So it's, it's interesting because it is a team sport. You have to work together. This isn't like a singular, it's not like an Olympic event type thing where you're like how fast you can run or whatever, but individual players are like their stats are specific to them and how they do improves the entire team. Right. Um, So that's kind of an interesting quality of baseball. Um, so contrasting the game with both football and basketball, um, baseball scholar, Michael Mandelbaum argues that baseball is the one closest in evolutionary descent to the older individual sports pitcher, batter and fielder all act essentially independent of each other Mm -hmm. while coaching staffs can signal pitcher or batter to pursue to pursue certain tactics. The execution of the play itself is a series of solitary acts. So if the batter hits a line drive, the outfielder is solely responsible for deciding to try and catch it or play it on the bounds or for succeeding or failing. The statistical precision of baseball is both facilitated by this isolation and reinforces it, which if you really like break it down and think about it, that's super interesting. So Mandel... Mandelbaum describes it thusly. It is impossible to isolate and objectively assess the contribution each football team member makes to the outcome of the play. Every basketball player is interacting with all of his teammates all the time. In baseball, by contrast, every player is more or less on his own. 
Baseball is therefore a realm of complete transparency and total responsibility. A baseball player lives in a glass house and in a stark moral universe. Everything that every player does is accounted for and everything accounted for is either good or bad, right or wrong. Wow. That's interesting. Very philosophical. Mm -hmm. So unlike most of those sports, baseball playing fields can vary significantly in size and shape, which is interesting. While the dimensions of the infield are specifically regulated, the only constraint on outfield size and shape for professional teams following the rules of Major League and Minor League Baseball is that fields built or remodeled since June 1st, 1958 must have a minimum distance of 325 feet from home plate to the fences in left and right field and 400 feet to center. Major League teams often skirt even this rule. Mm. For example, at Minute Maid Park, which became the home of the Houston Astros in 2000, the Crawford boxes, so like the the boxes for the, you know, the fancy fancies okay. in left field are only 315 feet from home plate. There are no rules at all that address the height of the fences or other structures oh, at the edge of the outfield. Okay. Also, the foul line, like the, the foul space mm-hmm. where if it's beyond the line of the bases, mm-hmm. the space that cr- that creates the foul line is can vary it can yeah, be two okay. and a half feet yeah. it can be like like if you were sitting in the stands and you were got like front row s- seats the foul line could be two and a half feet from your face or wow. uh, you know even longer farther away uh what are the regulations on the angels angels in the outfield yes <laughs> okay none and also <laughs> i loved that movie growing up i watched it like seven times great movie also um Danny Glover was in that movie. That's what made me fall in love with Danny Glover as an actor. So there you go. Uh, (laughs) So um, the most famously idiosyncratic outfield boundary is the left field wall at Boston's Fenway Park. Mm, The green monster. The green monster. Exactly. Um, It is 310 feet from home plate down the line and 37 feet tall. Uh, Fenway Park is also good trivia. Write it down. The oldest ballpark. Mm Mm-hmm. It has been in use since 1912. Wow. Uh, surfaces of the field are also unregulated. Okay. You could have grass. You could have dirt. You could have astroturf. Oh. You could have anything you want as long as it's not, I guess, trampolines. Trampolines, yes. <laughs> oh, man. We should write. <laughs> Let's write in. We're going to write into the MLB. Um, Because of the aforementioned field differences, lack of clock, and the focus on individual players, baseball lends itself to statistics really well. So sabermetrics refers to the field of baseball statistical study and the development of new statistics and analytical tools. The term is also used to refer directly to new statistics themselves. And the term was coined around 1980 by one of the field's leading proponents. His name was Bill James and derives from the Society for American Baseball Research or SABER, which is why it's called sabermetrics. Um, most often when you're talking about cyber saber metrics, if you don't, if you aren't familiar with it, the way that I quickly re- refer to it is, you know, Moneyball, <laughs> and people are like, oh yeah, I'm like that, yeah, Moneyball. So Moneyball was a book first by Michael Lewis, which was published in 2003 and later became a movie. Um, that was based on the true story of the Oakland Athletics 2002 year, and we have a friend <laughs> mm-hmm. who does saber metrics for the Pittsburgh Pirates and buckos. Yeah. So got to raise that Jolly Roger. Yeah. Way up high. <laughs> um, so we should have him on to talk about saber metrics. Oh yeah. Us. Yeah. I think that'd be a good I, idea. People love listening to people talk about statistics. Well, you know, 
I imagine he could make it interesting. I don't know. Can you make it interesting, Andrew? He doesn't listen to this podcast. Um, so Moneyball is essentially beating the big time money teams with math, yeah. which is just the way to go. Heck yeah. Because there's no salary cap in baseball, right? Um, I don't think so. So in, in sports like hockey, where there is a mm-hmm. salary cap in the league, um, that tends to lend to more parity within the teams because yeah. you you know you could have one player that you pay fifty million dollars to, exactly. and then a bunch of players that you pay one million dollars to, or you can have like you know some guys that are worth ten million, and then you know that kind of stuff. Yeah. So the money kind of balances out. So exactly. Um, but in baseball, like the the main critique of the New York Yankees is that mm-hmm. they are a money team. Yep. They have a lot of money at their disposal, so they can buy the best players playing that year. Yeah. And my father being a big Red Sox fan mm. and a Yankee hater from like birth, he's always grousing about how the Yankees just buy their wins. Yeah. It's not about mm-hmm. the, the play. It's not about anything. It's about those damn pinstripes and their fresh, clean faces <laughs> without any facial hair and their money. He hates it. Oh, so, man. um, so the last thing I want to talk mm. about is I learned this while I was doing my research and this blew my flinging flang in mind. Okay. Here we go. This section is called Holy Shit, Jackie Mitchell. All right. So her name was Vernie Beatrice, nicknamed Jackie Mitchell Gilbert. She was one of the first female pitchers in professional baseball history. Oh. She pitched for the Chattanooga Lookouts, which was a class AA minor league baseball team. And in an exhibition game against the New York Yankees, she struck out both Babe Ruth <gasps> and Lou Gehrig in what? succession. Yep. She was 17 years old <gasps> when she did that. <laughs> Can you even believe that? Okay. Whoa. So here's the story. The New York Yankees and the Chattanooga Chattanooga Lookouts were scheduled to play an exhibition game in Chattanooga, Tennessee on April 1st, 1931. So um, exhibition games were when uh, professional teams or like the, like a bunch of the people mm-hmm. on a professional team would kind of travel around and play minor league uh, teams around the country. Mm-hmm. And that was one way of like just getting people out to like play and yeah. like get into baseball and also kind of a way of scouting like, Ooh, this guy's really good or whatever. And so they would bring them on the team and recruit them. So they played the Chattanooga lookouts as like a little jokey joke. Mm -hmm. So due to the rain, the game was postponed until the next day. 17 year old Jackie Mitchell was brought in to pitch during the first inning by lookouts manager, Bert Nyhoff after the starting pitcher Clyde Barfoot gave up a double and a single. Ah, Clyde. I know, right? Barfoot. What a dumb. The next two batters were Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. Just so (laughs) happened. After taking a ball, Ruth swung and missed the next two pitches. Mitchell's fourth pitch to Ruth was called a third strike. Babe Ruth glared and verbally abused the umpire before being led away by his teammates to sit to wait for another batting turn. The crowd roared for Jackie. Yeah. Babe Ruth was quoted in a Chattanooga newspaper as having said, I don't know what's going to happen if they begin to let women in baseball. Of course, they will never make good. Why? Because they are too delicate. It would kill them to play ball every day. Oh, so delicate. Oh, my ovaries are by a little inside my flying around. Whatever. He's <laughs> drunk, old drunk. Yeah. So next up was the iron horse, Lou Gehrig, who swung through the first three pitches to strike out. Jackie Mitchell became famous for striking out two of the greatest baseball players in history to this day. Can you believe it? So I could not find any like reaction yeah. from Lou Gehrig about it. But from what I understand about Lou Gehrig, he was a lovely and humble man. Mm. 
And I imagine he was, I want to think that he was impressed and was mm-hmm. like, that's a, that girl's that's got a, a cannon. Good, great broad. Yeah. So a few good days arm. after. Yeah. She's got a great arm. A few days after Mitchell struck out Ruth and Garrick, baseball commissioner Kennesaw Mountain Landis, this dick. What a name. I know. He was, well, watch the baseball documentary, but he was a real asshole. He voided her contract and declared women unfit to play baseball as the game was, quote, too strenuous. I'll show you truth. Too strenuous, sir. How about giving birth to a baby and then feeding it out of your breasts? Anyway, Mitchell continued to play professionally. <laughs> they probably didn't, didn't print that as a rebuttal in no, the paper. No, uh, but if I was there, I yeah. would have. Anyway. So she continued to play professionally. She barnstormed, which was another way of like um, minor league teams or like local teams would kind of travel around mm-hmm. and play other local teams. Like League of Their Own. Yes, like League of Their Own. That was like technically barnstorming. She was with the House of David, which was a men's team that was famous for their very long hair and long beards. They were like a commune. <laughs> They were. They were the House of David was like a cult slash commune. Oh. And they looked like like you see pictures of them now, like then it was like, whoa, so weird. But now you're like, oh, they're just hipsters. Oh, okay. They're like handsome bearded dudes. Mm. Um, so while traveling with the House of David team, she would sometimes wear a fake beard for publicity. That's funny. Which is kind of cute. So she retired in nineteen thirty seven at the age of twenty three after becoming furious since her story about playing baseball was being used something of a sideshow. Once being asked to pitch while riding a donkey. And she was like, uh, no, thank you. So she refused to come out of retirement when the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League formed in 1943, Mm. which is like League of Their Own. Uh, Major League Baseball would formally ban the signing of women to contracts on June 21st, 1952. And the ban lasted until 1992. But like, why? Because it it was too strenuous. Kennesaw Mountain said... No. You know what? I don't think any of the other sports specifically were like, women no not loud here. Yeah. Baseball. <sighs> Bunch of dicks. So, uh, okay. So in 1992, Carrie Schuler was drafted by the Chicago White Sox for the 1993 season. So that that's a good bit of trivia. But mm-hmm. Carrie Schuler happened to be the Chicago White Sox like owner's daughter uh, or granddaughter. So she never like actually played. No, she didn't play. She didn't do anything. She actually ended up playing baseball, basketball in college. Mm. And like now she's she's just like a footnote, unfortunately. Um, So in 1982, Jackie Mitchell was invited to throw out the ceremonial first pitch for the Chattanooga Lookouts on their season opening day. And Jackie Mitchell died in Fort Oglethorpe, Georgia, on January 7th, 1987, and was buried in Forest Hill Cemetery in Chattanooga. And she was a righteous badass and should have been allowed to play baseball because she struck out two of the greatest baseball players in the history of baseball. And then they were like, nope, you're too good. Bye. Which I think is just like the history of women. Well, I think I just said, like, I just. You just did it. Yeah. (sighs) Whatever. No one needs to take a class on that. Right. (sighs) So (laughs) not to end on a a infuriating Uh note, but. Wow, That's I been, had no idea. Right? Yeah. Baseball is super interesting, even if you have no interest in, like, the gameplay itself. Mm-hmm. Just, like, the the personalities and the way that people were so crazy about it for so long mm-hmm. and how it kind of, like, um, it's spread across the yeah. globe. And it's just, and it's been around for so long that there's just a lot of really good information about yeah, it. Absolutely. So I think I'm going to continue to do baseball every so often, depending on how, what our what our feedback for this is. Cause if I get a message that's like, never talk about baseball again, you were terrible. Please don't do that. My, <laughs> my ego is delicate. No, so, it's not. My quiz is called 
Baby Ruth, a quiz on candy and that power hitter from Baltimore. Question number one. Babe Ruth is still really well known today, even though he died over 60 years ago. Question. Was he a lefty or a righty? Question number two. Which protein-packed candy bar was named after the inventor's prized horse? Question number three. Red Sox fans know of the infamous Curse of the Bambino, the legend that blames the Sox's 86-year championship drought on Ruth's anger after the Sox sold him to the Yankees in the offseason of 1919 and 1920. What year did the Sox finally break the curse? Question number four. Which country consumes the most candy per capita than any other country in the world? Question number five. Surprisingly enough, the curse of the Bambino wasn't the only baseball-related curse. Another famous one is the curse of the Billy Goat on the Chicago Cubs. How long did this curse last? Question number six. I've mentioned Reagan's penchant for jelly beans before, but what other commander-in-chief also had a candy addiction, commonly eating Milky Ways for breakfast? Question number seven. Babe Ruth is one of the few players in the MLB to have their number retired, a true honor in sports. What was his number? Question number eight. What is the Fruit Stripes Gums Zebra's mascot name? Question number nine. He's best known as one of the best hitters of his era, but Ruth also played five fielding positions in his career and wasn't too bad at those either. Name at least two of those positions. And finally, number 10. Was the Baby Ruth candy bar named after Babe Ruth or Grover Cleveland's daughter? I'll give you a minute to think about it, and we'll be right back with answers. Take me out to the ball game, sung by Edward Meeker, Edison Record. Question number one. Babe Ruth was still really well, really well known today. Did Was he a lefty or a righty? A lefty. He was. He batted and threw left. Good job. It's a 50-50, honestly. <laughs> okay. Question number two. Which protein-packed candy bar was named after the inventor's prized horse? Snickers. It is Snickers. Oh, you're killing it. Mm. All right. <laughs> number question, three. Two questions. Great job. <laughs> done. A We're plus. done. Thank you for listening, everybody. <laughs> No. Okay. Question number three. Red Sox fan know of the infamous Curse of the Bambino, the legend that blames the Sox's 86-year championship drought on Ruth's anger after the Sox sold him to the Yankees in the offseason of 1919-1920. What year did the Sox finally break the curse? 2004. It was 2004. You also said 84 years in the I know. Question. I just, I realized that I was reading it the yeah. second time, which oh. is terrible. So, yes. If you can do math in your head, it was 2004. <laughs> so, uh, 
In 2004, they swept the St. Louis Cardinals after coming back from a zero to three, zero three best of seven mm-hmm. deficit. Okay, so my dad, frigida freaked. Okay, here's I picture it. My dad, picture it. Buffalo, 2004. <laughs> my father, he's watching the game. So it went late, as yeah. as a lot of mm-hmm. games do. But the final game went late. My dad, I was not home at the time. I was at college. Mm-hmm. I learned about this from my mother later. <laughs> my dad, he cried. He Ugh. cried. He went out. He ran out to the porch, the back porch. They live in the country. Ran out to the back porch and screamed to the stars. Yeah! <laughs> so excited. <laughs> then he called his brother. And they just screamed in the phone at each other. Ah! Screamed in the phone at each other. <laughs> then, finally, after celebrating, like, running around the house, yeah. my mom was in bed, like, had oh, been in yeah. bed for hours. She said she did not get a wink of sleep that night because every so often he would, he would go <laughs> giggle and then he would sigh <sighs> all night long. And she said it drove her nuts because she could not go to sleep, but yeah. she didn't say anything to him because she was just so happy that exactly. he was so excited. Yeah, yeah. It was like the greatest thing. Yeah. Called me screaming. It was great. It was great. And he did that subsequently. Like they, yeah. they won. It was crazy. Uh-huh. So alternately, um, so uh, with Babe Ruth, they won three with him mm-hmm. on the team, the Boston Red Sox, mm-hmm. in six seasons. Nice. And in the ensuing 107 years without yeah. him, they won four. Yeah. So there you go. It's crazy. What a weird coincidence. So number four, which country consumes the most candy per capita than any other country in the world? Is it Germany? It is Germany. Oh my God, you're really good at this. You asked me candy questions. I know. This is really a wheelhouse. I'm not so great on baseball, but candy? <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, so it, Germany eats more than twice the US average. Uh, they eat an average of 29 pounds per year per person. Ugh. And we should have known from Augustus Gloop. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's a good way to remember. Yeah. So uh, surprisingly enough, the curse of the Bambino wasn't the only baseball-related curse. Another famous one is curse of the Billy Goat on the Chicago Cubs. How long did this curse last? Is that 108? years is 71 Close. years okay so it was 1945 to 2016 okay so the curse goes thusly um because the odor of his pet goat named murphy was bothering other fans billy goat tavern owner william cyanus was asked to leave wrigley field the cubs home ballpark during game four of the 1945 world series outraged cyanus agle- allegedly declared them cubs they ain't gonna win no more which had been interpreted to mean that I <laughs> she had to turn away. Okay. <clears throat> which, <laughs> which had been interpreted to mean that either the Cubs would never win another National League pennant or that they would never again win a World Series, mm. or at least for the rest of Sienna's life. Yeah. So that I, I imagine that any everybody in 1945, regardless just of where they were from, like that, just talk like that anyway. You see? Why, Why I oughta... <laughs> both shook our fists at each other at the same time oh we gotta stop hanging out so much no let's not okay i've mentioned reagan's penchant for jelly beans but what other commander-in-chief also had a candy addiction commonly eating milky ways for breakfast i don't know but i could see bill clinton eating candy bars for breakfast yeah he seems like the type who just did not have a good well he's a vegan now Now. but like then yeah yeah. no it was actually nixon oh how about that he didn't have a i mean anyway so question number seven, Babe Ruth is one of the few players in the MLB to have their number retired. A true honor in sports. What was his number? 
22. Mm, Close. Eight. Okay. Are 21. You just, are you just going to name every number? 20. It's three. Uh, <laughs> no, I wouldn't have got there. Yeah, you wouldn't have got there. Um, his number was retired by the Yankees in 1948. Okay. Uh, question number eight. What is the fruit stripe gums zebra's mascot named? Yikes. Close. It's <sighs> yipes. Yipes. Yikes. Stripes, fruit, stripes, yeah. gum. Yeah, okay. because it rhymes with stripes. Okay. Which is not a very creative way, but there you have it. <laughs> so question number nine, he's best known as one of the best hitters of his era, but Ruth also played five fielding position in his career and wasn't too bad at those either. Name at least two of those positions. Second base. Mm, no. Shortstop. Nope. Okay, all the other ones. <laughs> There's five other ones, I, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, he was... He was a pitcher. Mm-hmm. He was a real good pitcher, actually. He was called the best left-handed pitcher of the 1910s in the American League. Oh, wow. He also played uh, left field, right field, center field, and first base. So I named all the other ones. Yeah, you did. Yep. You didn't name all of them. Okay. Finally, question number 10. Uh, was the Baby Ruth candy bar named after Babe Ruth or Grover Cleveland's daughter? It was not Grover Cleveland's daughter. So you're saying it was Babe Ruth? Sure. Yes. It was named after Babe Ruth. So the Curtis Candy Company had traditionally claimed that the Baby Ruth candy bar was named after President Grover Cleveland's daughter, Ruth Cleveland. Skeptics, however, are quick to point out that not only did Ruth Cleveland die 16 years before the introduction Mm -hmm. of the Baby Ruth bar, but the company had originally negotiated a failed endorsement deal with legendary baseball player Babe Ruth. Some have suggested that they secretly named the candy bar after Ruth was a way to tie him to their product without paying any royalties. Right. Always a shrewd advertiser. Company founder Otto Schnering chartered a plane in 1923 to drop thousands of baby Ruth bars over the On city, the city of, of Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Yes. Uh, each with its own mini parachute. Yeah. So his marketing plan must have worked. Baby Ruth has gone on to be a top confectionery brand. Today, the Baby Ruth bar is owned by Nestle. So there you go. So that's, that's about awesome. baseball and candy. Hooray. Two of America's favorite pastimes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. Good. So, I mean, if it, I think if you'll allow it, if, if the, if the public will allow it, I'll do some more baseball stuff. Cause it was definitely fun to do. It's fun to look up cool things and like learn these awesome. interesting side facts. Yeah. We can cover the major sports and then go on to the obscure ones. Yeah. And maybe we'll get an intern to do cricket for us. Yeah. We'll get an intern. <laughs> if you have any interest in learning about cricket or happen to know a lot about cricket, please contact us um if you'd like to hear more from us uh you can hear us on itunes google play stitcher anywhere you get your podcasts uh please rate review and subscribe us on any and all of those platforms oh yeah and thank you so much everybody that's um sent us comments or messages so far we really appreciate it um you can also find us on twitter at misinfopod we have an email it's misinfopod at gmail.com we have website triple dub dot misinfopod dot com and we have a facebook page misinformation colon a tribute podcast um so yeah you can um chat with us there and we're yeah we're easy to get a hold of and you know tell your friends friends hey if you like us you know retweet us or share our facebook page drop some baby ruths with our Oh my gosh, we that's don't... what we can do. That's our next oh, promotion. that's a good idea. We're going to get a helicopter. Sure. And we're going to get some candy bars. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to... Tiny gonna... parachutes. Yes. And well, if... I think the tiny parachutes might be the hardest part. Don't you? We could probably make them. Okay. Yeah. There's got to be like a... a tutorial. Like oh, a top-down uh, video that we can watch of tiny parachutes. Perfect. And then the parachutes will say, misinfopod.com. Yeah. Listen now. Awesome. I like it. 
So be on the lookout, everyone. <laughs> for tiny candy bars falling from the sky. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.